Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. We've got a good one for you today, um, but I do want to warn you that we are trying to shake some of your paradigms. I don't know what paradigm around mental health you've grown up around. I understand there's a stigma in certain places around mental health, and yet we are trying to normalize the mental health conversation. In fact, we absolutely must normalize this. If you're a leader, um, it's more important for us, if you have influence of any kind, that we are talking about what's happening within us and around us. And so we had a conversation on our Right Side Up Collective, which, by the way, is an incredible monthly community, monthly conversation, ongoing learning from other leaders. You should check out Right Side Up Collective. The link is in the show notes. Uh, But that was a conversation that you curated Jonathan, around mental health. And we had one of our favorite experts in this field, Dr. Mark Mayfield, on that. So Jonathan, uh, what did you really appreciate about this conversation? I think it was really exciting to see someone like Mark, who is an expert in the counseling field, but who also coaches, to be able to bring both of those into a room to speak to to speak to a bunch of leaders and really just to dive in and we didn't tiptoe around any any questions or topics. I mean, mental health is a serious thing. It's we're finally talking more about it in our country and in our culture, but almost from a reactive place where like, whoa, there's more and more things going on. We need to kind of address these. And in the leadership world, I mean, the leadership's always changing. We talk about it all the time. It's the landscape's rapidly changing and Leaders are always dealing with changes, so there's a mental health component there, and we've never really wanted to address it. So I just love the way Mark came in, and he hit some very heavy points that are easy for most of us to neglect. Um, and I love the way he just brought the practical nature of, like, counseling looks back at issues to uncover, and then the leadership coaching helps you go forward. And so he was able to bring forth some great points about, one, how do we gauge our own mental health? Like, how do I regularly assess where I'm at? You know, how do I start with that? And then two, how do I then gauge those that I lead and care about? You know, it doesn't matter whether it's your family or in a relationship or if you serve on a team, like how do you become aware of yourself and those around you so that you're not just striving, but everyone's leading from a place where you're more grounded, wholehearted, and you become more comfortable to say, hey, you know what? You seem a bit different today. You seem off or I'm feeling off. And it's okay to say that. And it was a great, it was a great segment, but I would say, Alan, one of the most pointed things he said, and I want to get your take on this, is it was very abrupt. And we talk about loneliness all the time. Um, And he gave this three-phase like slope of loneliness where leadership doesn't have to be lonely all the time. But if you don't check your loneliness and realize what's going on, loneliness leads to isolation and then leads to death. Like that's a mic drop. And we're talking death, whether it's I'm burned out, physical, actual, worst case scenario. But that's a big thing. And so what are your thoughts on that? Why do you think that's important to understand in a personal life and then even in the way we live and lead? First of all, I think let's flip that around. I mean, the essence of life is community and relationship. And so whether we're that's, right. you know, capital D death. I mean, obviously, there are people taking their lives right now. This is a very, very serious season. And we take mental health very seriously. Um, and yet a lot of times it's the death of a dream that we just sort of, uh, it's only in our head and we don't share that with other people. A lot of times it's something like Mm -hmm. burnout where it's literally 
um, the death of the ability to continue to push on, the death of hope, the death of faith in many ways. And um, we're so connected, you know, heart, soul, mind, strength is the way that scripture talks about it. And we love that. I'd add family to that as well. We want the overflow first to go to our family. And frankly, it goes to our family first. The question is whether that's a good overflow or a bad overflow. And um, I think that if we work backwards from that, it's really helpful to say, are you experiencing um, some small deaths in your life? How do you work backwards toward life? We talk about what is life giving. Coaching is incredibly life giving. We can see people's lives changed in that. Um, I see a counselor monthly and that has been incredibly life-giving to me. Now, it doesn't always feel good. Uh, it's prickly often. I, in fact, I had a session yes. uh, this last week, and um, it put some life into me, and it took some energy out of me, but it was a great investment of that, and I continue. That's been about the last two years as I see a counselor, and by the way, if you're a leader on any kind of platform, I would encourage you to say the same thing. If you see a counselor, um, that encourages and gives other people permission. I hope just simply by hearing that I regularly see a counselor and it's been incredibly helpful for me as a human, as a husband, as a dad, as a leader, man, to be able to make sense of my own story so that I can multiply life into other people and not death or dysfunction like you're talking about uh, has been incredibly helpful. So absolutely that lines up. Um, like you said, I love that Mark, he comes from an extensive counseling background. He's one of the best out there, yet he's translating it for leaders and he's also a coach. And so those are two different um, kind of definitions, of course, but two different directions, really coaching. We're looking backwards and saying, how did I get here? What have I done? What was done to me that shaped me and got me to this point? Of course, self-awareness, we're looking inward. And then we look ahead for coaching and say, where do you want to go? We're mountain guides for the leadership journey for you to get there. But I don't believe we can go two directions at the same time. It's really helpful to actually take some time and process with a counselor, with a close friend, ideally somebody with letters after their name, and then to be able to head to a leadership coach and say, how do I activate uh, in light of that? So I'm a big fan of counseling. Let me just say it here. I think counseling done well is an incredible gift and if you know of a solid counselor uh, and you can get in with them, I don't know anybody that said that was the biggest waste of time. I found a great counselor. It was a waste of time. And uh, hopefully it's a season of your life that uh, is really fruitful. So that's absolutely that. What else, Jonathan? What else stuck out to you about this conversation? I think the importance of asking questions. It's uncomfortable when we want to look to ourselves. Um, you know, you we get so focused on the looking forward at the task at hand, the next marker to hit, the next milestone to hit, um, you know, the deliverables and things of that nature, that it's easy to not look into ourselves and say, you know, what do I need? Where am I at? What's going on? Um, because especially in like the Christian leadership landscape, it can tend to be deemed as selfish to look at yourself. And it's really not. Um, something that is always often stuck out to me is the way you care for and look at others is a reflection of how you're currently caring for yourself. And so if, if, if what's inside is not solid, then what, what's moving forward is not going to be as solid or, or, as, or as deeply impactful. So the importance of asking questions and building self-awareness, knowing that, you know, what are the triggers? You're going to hear all those things. What are the triggers? What are the markers? What are the things that I should be aware of? And then this is how I start asking questions and to journal them down so that you can get, begin to track what's going on. You know, I see a counselor. 
And these are all tools that we've worked through. And it's helped me in coaching scenarios and then more of the practical side of my leadership going forward and say, okay, this is how I can lead more efficiently. This is how I can lead more, you know, I can move quicker, but I'm not rushing as much. And this is how I feel. And then it helps me to see that in others. Um, and the other one, big, just self-care, like the importance of self-care and why, to be quite honest, we suck at it. So those are, those are things that I'm excited for you guys to dig into. Um, take some notes, bring someone in, share with you, really just dig in. Um, lonely leadership is something you will experience loneliness from time to time. It doesn't have to be. And you're going to hear about what are those markers? Like if I start seeing myself, you know, start to isolate what that looks like, how that, how that's, you know, you can see it in yourself and others and then what to do to course correct. What are the practical steps? And sometimes it's uncomfortable, but some of the most fruitful work that we can do is some of the most uncomfortable work in the short term. So those are my big takeaways. Um, Man, I'm just excited for you guys to dig in. Alan, got anything? Well, we're going to leave it right there for you. Again, take care of yourself. I literally believe that counseling for me allows me to take care of myself, to pay attention to what I pay attention to, uh, the good and the hard. And one tool that we want to continue to talk about here is our Right Side Up journal. What we say in that is every Thursday is for self-awareness. Every Thursday is for self-awareness. You've had enough of the week under your belt that you've probably had some discouragements. You have enough fatigue. But Thursday mornings is a chance. We've gotten over hump day. And it's a chance to ask these questions. Where am I thriving? Where am I struggling? What feels confusing right now? What's missing right now? And what are my next steps? And I've turned to that in my right setup journal. I look at that on Thursday. I've also gauged my energy level and my encouragement level. And there are weeks when I say, wow, that really has been a hard week. And there are weeks when I say, man, this is incredible. This is going really well. Um, why is that? And I get that time. Friends, without the space and the time, I just don't know how we actually do any self-awareness or self-care work. Guys, Mark is a dear friend of our team here at Stay Forth, one of our coaches. He's the author of The Path Out of Loneliness. He's been a practitioner for many years in the mental health space. He loves the church. He loves leaders. And he's translating mental health into terms that normal people like you and I can actually understand. So enjoy Jonathan's conversation pulled from the Right Side Up Collective with Dr. Mark Mayfield. Mark, it is so great to have you here. You and I have gotten to know one another. Um, you do a lot of amazing things. You've been, and you're an incredible servant to the kingdom. Um, you do so many things, but I don't want to waste any time because we have a lot to cover. So really quick, take about 30 seconds and just let everyone know who you are and how you serve and care for leaders in the way that you do. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Uh, so uh, I am a recent transplant to the beautiful state of Texas. I live about 45 miles north of Houston, about 30 hours south of Dallas. So, and if you know Conroe Woodlands area, uh, we traded our 7,000 uh, a uh, 7,000 square foot lot for almost five acres, uh, and loving it uh, closer to family. Uh, so, serving leaders, I have been uh, a pastor, and I have been 
a counselor for now almost 20 years and uh, now transitioning more into being a coach. Uh, my desire is to be the navigation for people's mental health journeys, especially leaders and pastors who are in transition or struggling uh, to be that support for them. So uh, there's a lot more to that, but that's just the 30,000 foot view. I love that. The navigation for the mental health journey. Um, we're going to dive right in with, with mental health, especially with leadership. So, you know, at State Forth, we're always, always, always the heartbeat of everything to do is coaching and leadership development to help people get healthy. And health is all encompassing of mental, emotional, physical, spiritual. And from the mental health side of things, what is the biggest challenge that you see leaders facing in today's current climate at the end of, at the end of August in 2022 that you see from your vantage point? Gosh, I mean, I think that's a loaded question. We could go a couple different directions. I was, you know, kind of thinking through that this morning as I, you know, was preparing for this. And I think the biggest thing that I see right now as I'm working with leaders is the the stress and anxiety of leading their people well. Uh, and I think that comes uh, out in a couple different areas. Uh, I feel like leaders have this uh, un fair narrative that they have to be the ones that have it all together so that they can lead their people well. And so they are themselves wasting away from a mental and emotional health standpoint. Um, you know, and so I don't know if it's just kind of the, the culture that has been created in our country that, you know, I can't struggle or I can't ask for help or I can't work on my own stuff. Uh, I have to have it together because my people are watching or whatever that looks like. So a lot of the people that I'm coaching right now, uh, are kind of in that, uh, I wouldn't say, you know, uh, in, kind of in the the red zone, but they're kind of yellow to orange in the sense of, like if they waited any longer, they'd be in crisis, whether it be their own mental health, their family's health, um, you know, their relationships and or their organization. And so, you know, I think one of my big passions is how do I get people thinking about these conversations when they're moving from green to yellow? Right. It's it's kind of the, the shades of green are getting a little bit uh, more uh, yellow. You know, I don't want people to get to a, a place of crises. You know, I like a crisis as um, kind of, oh, my gosh, if I don't do something like the world's going to come crumbling down. Um, and that's not a great place to be. And that's not a great place to lead. And in, in a lot of ways, that's not a great place to enter into counseling because you have to kind of triage the trauma before you can actually get to some of the, the, the cracks in the foundation, so to speak. Um, and so I, I think it's uh, in a roundabout way, creating space for leaders to raise up their hand and say, hey, what about me? I need some support. Uh, I, I can't keep on doing this at this pace or I can't keep on shouldering these burdens. And there's a bunch of different ways that can look, right? That's can be through boundary making. That can be through uh, creating better processes and procedures, schedules, um, rhythms. There's a lot of ways we can go about uh, kind of um, confronting some of these issues. I know you said a couple of things. I know in my own experience, I was unaware of my own need to care for my mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an awareness that I think is twofold. And I was thinking about this earlier. You can see, you know, that there's, there's individuals and people that struggle or have challenges with mental health. Um, 
but you're often, at least for me, I was unaware of that mind was deteriorating. I was so used mm-hmm. to going and going and going and going and going and doing and doing and doing and things would happen and you would just skip across it like a rock and you would just go to the next thing and it'll be okay. You know, I, I have these responsibilities, all of these people and these things need me and I have to execute, execute, execute that I was unaware that my foundation had fractured and that I was leaking sure. until it was too late. Yeah. And so that brings me, that brings me to my next question. As you talk about, you said, you said something that was really profound, the shifting of the, the shades of the colors changing. Um, and it is kind of a gradual, if I go back and look over my own journey from, from what I had navigated through, there are changes, but how do you, how do you walk with someone or, or begin to make yourself aware of your own, like the, some of the shifts that you see in yourself that throw up some mm-hmm. markers and then we'll flip that into how do we be aware of other people? Well, okay. So I'm going to ask the counselor. I'm going to do the counselor thing here for a minute. Uh, so don't roll your eyes or don't get, you know, run away. But like, I, I think a lot of times we don't recognize the models that we were raised with. So I think the beginning of this question comes back to a question. What were your models of emotional and mental health growing up? How are those things communicated, right? Because the reason I ask that is if we're not aware of that, we're not going to recognize when we're unhealthy. This is just the way it's always been. And this is the way it's always going to be because this is all I know or all I remember. And and until our viewfinder grows or shifts or changes, we're not going to recognize that that maybe is unhealthy. And so, for example, me growing up, my emotional status was often overlooked or shut down. Those emotions are not welcome here because they cause tension or they cause turmoil or they cause, and I was a very expressive, emotional person, still am. And my model was numb. My model was avoid or ignore. And so that became my model of dealing with things from young and so it, I, I'm grateful for my experience in counseling and then in my education, because these things that were maybe not common knowledge became common knowledge to me. This is why I'm so passionate about having conversations like this, because these are things we don't think about until it's too late, right? So let's have a conversation now. So I think if we start recognizing our models and how we were raised in emotion, you know, talking about emotional mental health and, and then comparing them to maybe... Uh, uh, a mentor or a counselor or a coach. It's like, are these, are these, you know, healthy? I'm not going to say normal because nothing's really normal, but are these healthy? And if they're not healthy, maybe where do I need to change? And so we start from the beginning and look backwards. And then as we begin to heal those things, we can then turn forwards and make those changes currently in our life to better affect uh, how we lead. Um so it's it's an awareness of asking the right questions. It's an awareness of um, knowing how we tend to deal with things. Are you an avoider? And how do you avoid? Do you avoid with being more busy? Do you avoid with food or with movies? Or like, you know, I, I know that I'm getting burned out because all I want to do is binge watch something on Netflix. In and of itself, it's not bad. But if that's our go-to because we don't want to deal with what's going on. And I think really being honest with ourselves in those areas is going to create a whole plethora of conversations that we can have with a trusted person as we begin to peel back the layers. Another thing that I notice and that I recognize is as a society, we don't like sitting with tension. 
when something gets tense, what do we tend to do? We, create, we want to move on from it or yeah. create some sort of temporary Dis- band-aid to it. Distraction. Let's numb it. Let's avoid it. Let's ignore it. And the greatest growth that we can uh, experience is in the tension. And I dare say that we actually don't grow unless we embrace the tension. Uh, and that's so countercultural in a lot of different ways. And so I think the best thing that we can do to begin to recognize where our cracks are is to find the places of tension in our lives and sit with it. You know, and 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 I think dare I say, sit with it with a safe person, somebody that can speak truth over that. Um, but we have to be willing to go there. And I think a lot of leaders that I've worked with, until it's too late right? When it's too, they're willing to go there when everything's falling apart. I want you to go there when things are starting to feel tense and begin to create a narrative and create a, a, a clearer picture of what that looks like. It's probably one of the most needed proactive steps we can all take that we all try to avoid in certain ways until it's like, okay, now I have no other options. Now I have to deal with this. Right. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of leaders. You know, we it's easy to avoid, but I think going to the place of well, so many people expect so much of me. My family expects so much of me. My my job that I'm building, the business that I'm trying to scale expects so much of me. And if I stop for a moment and care about myself or make sure that I'm good, it's all going to fall apart when really it'll all fall apart anyway, because you only ever lead people further into health or into ward unhealth, you know, depending on where from where you are. Yeah. And I want to encourage people with this for a minute is that we don't have to have everything figured out. I think the fallacy is that we have to be, we just have to be farther down the road. We have to be a couple of steps down the road than the people that we're leading. And we have to be willing to be aware of what our stuff is. Mm -hmm. If we're not aware, then we're going to lead people to unhealth, right? We can only take people as far as we've been willing to go ourselves. And sometimes that's a step or two ahead, right? And it feels so vulnerable. It feels so, uh, um, well, like scary, to be frank, you know, that uh, I'm working this out as I'm leading. Uh, and I think, to be honest, and not to be uh, too overly dramatic, but like the church is the worst culprit as far yeah. as culture goes. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I think you're right in that we try to um, we try to move on from something. Instead of taking one next step, we want to take 10 or 15 and have the solution right away. But you know, we say it's clarity. You know, if you're constantly gaining more and more clarity with your with your own circumstances where you are, and the more you learn, the more than you're the the more you're able to see, the farther you're able to see, and the better you're able to help and guide others. I know. Right. Um, I think Henry Nowen spoke about that in his book um, Wounded Healer. Mm-hmm. And if anyone in here has not read it, I would recommend everyone read Wounded Healer. It's like the best eighty page book. Um, yeah. And he taught, he gives the analogy of you, you can only ever lead someone out of their desert when you're willing to walk through your own desert with them. I'm horribly paraphrasing that, but you have to be so close <laughs> to your own condition that it's only then that you'll ever go to lead someone out of their own desert. So mm-hmm. you don't want to run from when things happen. You want to be close to it. So that's a great segue. What are some good markers, some practical markers for, you know, the person in the room, whether they serve on a team, they're leading themselves, they're leading their family to gauge their mental health to gauge kind of where they're at and what's going on? Well, I think this is going to look different than ever for everyone. And I think this is where it gets a little bit frustrating at times is that we want kind of this two plus two equals four answer. 
we want uh, we want somebody to tell us, okay, here are the five things that I need to be monitoring. Uh, that if one of those goes off kilter, then you know I need to to seek help. I think it's going to be different for everybody. So I think really uh, spending time uh, asking some some questions of yourself. Um, you know, the first question that I think we avoid is how am I doing? And then mm-hmm. dot 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 really question mark. Like, how am I doing? Um, the the I, I hate the question. Hi, how are you? When you greet somebody, because Nobody unless you're willing, you a real answer. Well, right. Unless you're willing to sit there and, and spend 15, 20 minutes hearing the answer. Don't ask the question. Like find a different way to greet people. Uh, we're just perpetuating the cycle of hiding behind a mask when we ask that question. So a little pet peeve, little soapbox. Sorry, I'll get off. Um, but I, I think it's asking ourselves, how am I doing really? in what areas I think, uh, need, um, need work. But I think that's a kind of an ambiguous question because are we the best to answer that? So is there, is there a safe and trusted person in your life that can say, you know, uh, I, you know, that I struggle with anger and that comes out when I'm, you know, unhealthy, how am I doing with, you know, with my anger or I, I struggle with micromanaging my team and not letting them be creative and letting them do what I've hired them to do. Uh, and I have sometimes have, don't have a gauge on how I'm doing with that and having somebody that you can have speak into those pieces of your life, I think are really important, the clarity conversation. Right. Um, but I think just some real simple, uh, gauges, like how, how are you eating? Like, you know, I think, uh, food is an indicator of health and, and our food choices are an indicator of health, not from a, like a legalistic restrictive type thing, but you know, are we stopping by Burger King on the way home every night because we're so exhausted. We don't have time to cook and have a dinner on the table and we just grab up, you know, burgers and fries and we sit in front of the TV. And if that's our normal, that's not healthy. If that's every once in a while, because I'm tired and it's a Thursday and I don't, or a Friday night and kids are out of school and we're, going to have a family movie night. That's one thing. So how we eat, you know, I've worked with leaders where I've done a food journal with them and it comes back with a lot of Red Bull and a lot of hostess cakes. And I'm like, Ooh, Ooh, you know, that is not good for your mental health. You know, uh, our, our, just a side note, our, uh, majority of our serotonin receptors are in our gut. So how we eat is going to dictate how we sleep. And so that's the next question I ask is how is your sleep now? I know leaders that can go to bed at 10 o'clock and sleep for five hours and wake up and they're great. They got a great five hours of sleep. Uh, that's, and that might be their norm. That's not healthy for everybody, right? So uh, gauging our sleep, are we falling asleep and staying asleep? What does our sleep hygiene look like? Are we, you know, on our screens, on our devices, answering emails until 10 o'clock at night and then trying to shut things down and go to sleep? That's not going to be healthy. Uh, research says that we need to have our devices off at least 45 minutes before bedtime so we can actually begin our circadian rhythm. Sleep hygiene is is huge, meaning, you know, what kind of things are jump-starting my circadian rhythm? Am I drinking chamomile tea a half hour before bed? My body goes, oh, it's time for bed. And this is the the the, the taste. Our five senses are so uh, amazing in the sense of jump-starting that. So if it's a lavender soap for lathering up and taking a shower, the lavender smell is kickstarting our sleep cycle. It's the chamomile tea. It's the turning the phone off and sitting, you know, uh, in your overstuffed chair, reading a book is a start, right? Whatever that looks like, how are we doing with that? Um, 
how are, and here's another thing. How this is going to be a, a kick in the pants for some of you. How are you waking up in the morning? We should everybody, and this is again not my opinion. This is just science that everybody should be waking up without an alarm, and we should be waking up ready for the day. So again, that's a Littmann's test of how are we doing stress-wise. If we have overactive cortisol, which is our stress hormone, and that's constantly dripping, it, you're going to feel like you're drugged or tired in the morning when you're trying to wake up, you know, like a hangover almost, because you had so much cortisol, your body's trying to reset. The only time our body... So here, uh, I'm getting too into the science, but I, I you know, get my my nerdiness coming out here. But the... Uh, our our body, the only time for our bodies to regenerate, our cells regenerate, they actually rebuild new cells and they turn themselves over uh, is overnight. And when we're resting. And uh, if our bodies are functioning well, we're hydrating well, we're eating well, we're sleeping well, our whole body will be new every 30 days. That's how often our cells turn over. Skin follicles, organ, organ cells, blood cells, uh, we we regenerate into newness every 30 days. But if we're not healthy, that's delayed. And now we have disease. So another Littmann's test is how often are you getting sick? How's your immune system? Um, when we have overactive stress, it deteriorates our immune system and it opens up as a pathway for disease. So I'm getting a cold more often than not, or I'm catching this, or I... And that's a big Littmann's test as well for whether or not I'm doing, doing well. So I could go on and on and on, but uh, I don't want to... Uh, bore people no. with biology <laughs> those are really good so the basics that we need for human function what we're eating sleeping physical activity um a big one for me was self-care that was a foreign term for me and it felt selfish especially coming out of being in ministry it was like no it's selfish to care for yourself you know mm-hmm. um and that was a foreign concept for me so i had to realize like what do i do that's life-giving for me to make sure that I'm being recharged regularly. Mm-hmm. And I had yep. to identify those and it's different for everyone. Um, and that, that was, was a lot of work. It took me a while it, to land on it because I had to figure out, you know, okay, what, what works for me? Right. What believe, well, what, what breathes life into you and is not going to, so I think we have a, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think we have a, uh, a, a poor understanding of what self-care looks like too. Right. Self-care can be just how we think about ourselves in a moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Self-care can be taking a five minute, let's get up and walk around the block or the office or get some water instead of sitting and pushing through. Self-care can be, you know, setting a timer for 20 minutes and getting as much work as I can get done in 20 minutes and then getting up and and changing my perspective. Right. Self-care can be buying yourself a nicer office chair so your back doesn't hurt at the end of the day. Um, Two, like I'm going to go get a massage every week like a bigger thing, right? I'm going to go to the beach every two weeks or every four weeks for uh, an overnight. I'm going to go get in the mountains. I'm going to go uh, get my kayak out. I'm going to go, like I have my property. We've got about 130, 120, 130 hardwood trees and it's lush green. It's beautiful. Uh, I go sit outside uh, when the sun's starting to go down and it's a little bit cooler and with my you know rocking camping chair and just sit in the forest and just allow that energy to wash over me, right? It, so it can be complicated and I think we overthink it sometimes and it can be just as simple as changing up our rhythms. And that's, that's the good hard work that it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen over, over time. And anyone in here, you know, if you're familiar with coaching, it's the same thing. It's like, how are we moving forward? You know, we've yeah. done the, you know, with counseling, you're digging into what happened and then 
trying to move forward and mental health plays such a big aspect of that. And those were foreign to me, those basic, those basic rhythms of, okay, how am I emotionally? And we've talked about this in private, but I identified what makes my, like when I'm more anxious and I'm more stressed, I went to people and was like, when I'm this way, how do you see me? What are, Mm -hmm. what are the things that you see that I'm not aware of? And it was to, you know, you have to be vulnerable. I want to work on this. And then to learn what those were and then to write them down and then I journal them and say, okay, when I feel myself this way, now I know I'm going that way. I can pull back and say, okay, it's time to do something. Something is not right. Something's off. What is it? Right. And then you can take the steps to say, to lower it for what, to gain clarity, to reduce the overwhelm to gain some clarity. So those are great yeah. things. Um, now flipping it. How can we become more aware of the markers of those that we lead and care for, whether it's in our family, on our teams, and those that we serve alongside of um, to see, you know, hey, I may to to know when to say, hey, I might see this in you or to invite someone into a conversation? Yeah, great question. And I I think it comes back to uh, we won't recognize that and do that well unless we do it for ourselves. And so it goes back to the question you just asked. Like, so, you know. Uh, many of us are uh, others oriented and that's fantastic. That was makes us good leaders. That's what makes us good uh, ministry and partner, you know, wh- whatever that, whatever our role is that makes us good at what we do. Uh, but we cannot be others focused if we've not self-focused first. And that's kind of a, it feels like an interesting paradigm shift, especially in how maybe many of us have been taught in the church. Um you know, one of my favorite passages is the greatest commandment because it's been so misrepresented over the years. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And the Greek word, or the second is like it, the Greek word is homoios, which means equal to. So really we see this reciprocal uh, rhythm of God's self and others that has to be balanced, uh, you know, that is shrouded and covered in relationship with Trinity, relationship with the Imago Dei, but, you know, with, with God, but the, the, you know, the, the time I put in my relationship with God has to be equal to how I put relationship with myself and with others. And so I think it, the paradigm shift for me in that comment was uh, I have to take adequate time for God and for self before I can adequately and healthily spend time with others. Um, So start there, but then um, most of us, either have been taught or were born with this empathic uh, sense, this sense of discernment, right? We, I think to be a leader and to be a good leader, you have to either grow that sense of discernment and empath, empathicness, uh, or uh, you're born with it. And I, I think a lot of times we get just caught up in, I see something, but I don't say something. So I see that I have a, 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 a one of my um, leaders is, not themselves today. And I could just in my mind dismiss it as, you know, maybe they got up on the wrong side of the bed or I can say, Hey, you know, so-and-so I see you. And I, and I, I see that you're kind of not yourself today. Are you doing okay? And being ready to kind of sit with that response. Or if I say, no, no, I'm fine. You're like, okay, well, that's fine. I, I see you and I'm here for you. If you need anything, you know, and create that opportunity. It's kind of how, how I suggest raising kids, right? Not know your kids well enough that you know when something's off, but not pressure them to speak or to speak to it, but let them know that you see them. And I think that's something that could really revolutionize how we lead and kind of revolutionize how we lead our churches uh, and our organizations. If we have that mindset of, 
Uh, I'm not going to just miss somebody's bad mood or just just miss somebody's tardiness or lateness or poor work because you know it's just a, a bad day. I might go, hey, this is not like you. Like you're really on top of things usually. Is everything going okay? Um, versus reprimanding or whatever that looks like. I think it's it's just a it's a the art of sitting with people in their space and then creating opportunity uh, for conversation. Um, and I think a lot of times we tend to listen only with our ears and that's only 10 to 20% of what is being communicated, right? We need to listen with our, our, our whole body. What are you feeling when you're engaging with that person? You know, where are you feeling it in your body? Because if we're empaths and we have discernment, what we're feeling in that conversation is probably not from us. It's probably from them and we need to pay attention. So if you're a little bit more anxious when you're talking with that person, maybe they're anxious and you can speak to that. Um, but then also the spiritual discernment too, right? So what is what is going on uh, uh, spiritually and being able to speak to that as well? So it, it becomes uh, an art over a science, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I can say is if you see something and say something, um, I know it's kind of cliche, but you know, it's, it's really what we be saying that in the counseling field that gets people to recognize that, that they can't hide anymore uh, and they're, and they're invited into that conversation. I mean, that's powerful. It's practical. And I have struggled with that. Noticing that something's off and say they're off today. If I notice it again tomorrow, I'll, I'll engage it or say something then. Um, but I think there's a fear of if I bring this up, maybe they're going to feel like I'm shaming them or doing something. But really, like you said, there's a there's an art and a discipline to it where you're more or less just saying, hey, I see you and I appreciate you. And I know that you are normally this. Mm-hmm. Are you OK today? You know, mm-hmm. and just know I appreciate when I'm here for you. And it's it's a good exercise, I think, twofold and that you're being learning how to be more vulnerable and stepping into the middle. And then also showing the people that you lead and serve alongside of that you value them. And you've got to create time, right? So this is mm-hmm. where you need to probably reorient some of your rhythms. If you don't have time for that, um, I'm just going to be blunt and say that you're probably not the leader that you need to be. Or the organization, priorities of the organization are not where they need to be. And, you know, we need to make time for that. Now, you don't need an open door policy where people are trampling on you. And you, there's got to be boundaries with that. But if we're going to invite people in the conversation, we need to have time for that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to have space and margin to say, okay, you know, I've committed to doing X, Y, and Z. And the people that are part of X, Y, and Z are, are also valuable, you know, yeah. are, are just as valuable. So that's a really good one. This leads into loneliness and isolation. That's a big one. Um, and those are difficult for people. They can be confusing and one can be misunderstood as the other. And um, they're difficult. Leadership in and of itself is lonely. Um, there's challenges that everyone in this room deals with that are different, but the the stresses and the tensions are, you know, inherently similar. Um, but we should never feel isolated. And yet so many people do. And I've often wondered why in my own journey, why that happened, mm-hmm. knowing and trying to avoid it. So speak to that for a minute. Why do, why do so many leaders tend to find themselves into an isolated space, both physically and even mm-hmm. mentally isolated, emotionally as well. Well, I think it's the narratives that we create for ourselves is what leads us down that road, the stories that we tell uh, about 
our position about what we can and cannot do, uh, you know, it's, it's, or, or agreeing with the narratives that have been created for us. Right. Um, you know, my, my statement in my, my first book was that loneliness leads can lead to isolate un unmonitored or unchecked loneliness can lead to isolation and isolation leads to death, um, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And, and I see this, I've seen this for the last 20 years happen in, in some form or fashion, uh, in those ways. And so, uh, you know, yes, uh, we hear all the time that leadership is lonely. Um, I don't know if I buy that. I actually believe that that's a narrative that we've created in our culture, that leadership is hard, I agree with, um, but it doesn't have to be lonely. And I think it's, but it's, it's who are we engaging with, I think is the discernment piece, right? Uh, if we're seeking those that we lead for validation and for support, that's the wrong place to go, but it has to be people that are at the same level or like-minded in that way. And which is why I'm so grateful for stay forth and other organizations that create opportunities for these conversations. Right. Um, that, that we have to, I think, break through that lie that leadership is lonely. Uh, there's bouts of loneliness probably that go with that, but it doesn't have right. to be pervasively lonely. Um, and it's how we, how we engage those moments. Right. So yeah, when I'm making it, you know, uh, gosh, two years ago now I had to cut pay on all my staff by, uh, like three to $400 a month because of COVID trying to keep the organization open. I had to make the decision by myself. I had, I had input, I had feedback, but I was the CEO. I had to keep the, you know, and that was a very lonely couple of days. And I could have allowed that to continue into loneliness, which would lead to isolation. Or I could say these were a hard three or four days. Uh, my soul is tired. I'm having a rough time and I need to go seek out people that know me. I need to go seek out people that can speak life and truth into me. I had to do something about that, right? I could have easily stayed in that moment and it, it led to loneliness, which leads to isolation, which leads to death. Um, so there's a part of us that has to kind of stand up, wake up, make that decision that I'm not going to allow myself to be in this place long-term and, and then reach out. It's very powerful. Loneliness leads to isolation, leads to death. And it hits very, very, very close to home for me. Um, it's true. And you have to not believe the lies that come into those and push back um, and realize that you have community around you. And then it's, then it's doing the uncomfortable work of saying, Hey, um, at least for me, I'm experiencing this. I would like to invite you in mm -hmm. just to be here, mm -hmm. just to know, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, this is here and nothing's off the table. Right. And to this day, that was probably the single healthiest thing I've done in my life and leadership in the last 10 years mm -hmm. was to, was to put, and they're still there today, was to put four people around me that are there, that are always there mm -hmm. and know that, Hey, and that community has grown like it before it was just people that were there. And it's like, Oh, wow, we can, we can lean on one another. And so in pockets of loneliness where things are unsure and, and different where, where I can start to feel, you know, my mental health declining, I know that those people are there. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do that because when the analogy I give, and this is kind of dramatic, when an explosion happens, we naturally want to run from it. But then to sit and say, okay, I'm going to learn through this, but I'm going to do it with trusted people. Well, and I think too, uh, it's how we view the tension, right? The struggle. I right. think, yeah, you think about, uh, just for an, as an example, how does our society handle grief? Something happens that is devastating. We lose somebody close to us. 
And the the way that our business practices call things in, you know, we get six days to bereave. We have six days to grieve and we should, you know, we're expected to come back and be okay. Um, no. Or the placation that time heals all wounds. That's mm-hmm. not true. Um, or that there's a grieving cycle. That's not true either. Like what's, what stage are you in uh, of grief? Well, there's no stages of grief. So let's throw that out the window. You know, so it's, but I think that's just telling on how we as a society view these things. And so if we need to, if we want to break through our culture of where we lead, we have to go against some of these cultural norms. We have to, to, to break through that by how we lead. That's really good. Um, Identifiers of isolation. I, you know, what are some of the flags and some of the, the ticks? And I think it's similar. But if you feel yourself heading that way, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, yeah, I would say it's similar to uh, how we, you know, in the clinical realm, how we diagnose depression, right? So mm-hmm. duration, we always talk about in with diagnosis. I've got a manual on my desk behind me that's you know two, three thousand pages for our diagnostic manual. It's ridiculous, but a lot of it is duration and intensity, right? So duration and intensity is something we need to look at, right? We may deal with bouts of loneliness that last a month or two. Um, right. But mm-hmm. that's the duration. The intensity is then, uh, am I intentionally not going to church? Am I intentionally avoiding people that are safe in my life because I don't want to deal with whatever's going on? Am I intentionally not setting an alarm or going to bed late and binge watching this, that, or the other thing and falling asleep at two o'clock on the couch and then dragging myself to bed? Am I intentionally um, drinking more to fall asleep? Am I intentionally, so there's a lot of intentionality there um, that we don't want to own up or recognize that lead to this place of isolation. Um, and, and I think a lot of us, it's, you know, I know myself included, hindsight's really great. And if we, you know, and that's a great place to learn and, you know, but we have to implement those things into our, our moving forward. So I think duration intensity, uh, I think disruption of the norm even when I was making those those hard decisions last you know two years ago, and I had people calling me awful things and talking behind my back and spreading rumors and lies and all this kind of stuff, I still wanted to be around my family. I still wanted to be with my kids. In fact, I was yearning and craving more to be with my kids and my wife and that kind of stuff because they were safe. That's a good indicator that I'm not going to move from loneliness to isolation. But you know, I was still living with this elephant on my chest and I couldn't get rid of it and the anxiety was rising up and I'd have moments where I just start crying out of nowhere. And, you know, but because uh, I knew what was going on, I allowed those things to happen. Right. So I think again, it's, it's, you know, it's those reactions and we know ourselves well enough or should know ourselves well enough or working on knowing ourselves well enough that we know when maladaptive responses come up. And so just taking, taking note of that. That's really good. Um, why do why, why would you say so many people have a hard time? It's an avoidance mechanism, but owning up and acknowledging, I have been inconsistent with what is healthy. Mm-hmm. Now I'm consistently doing my rhythms are unhealthy. You know, I'm staying up later. I'm sleeping less. My caffeine intake is through the roof, and I let it go for a minute. Now I know that this this is now a norm, and it's not a good norm. Why do we? Why is it so hard for folks? to acknowledge and own up to that, to say, Hey, this is not right. What can I do to move the other way, not to shift the pendulum wildly, but to then say, these are the steps that I need to go to get back to this place. Yeah. 
I think a lot of it is uh, going back to the original statement I made about recognizing our models. It's what stories have we told ourselves or been told to ourselves about these things throughout our life, gener- even generationally. Um, and I think it, we're afraid of shame and guilt creeping in that I'm less than of a human being, that I'm I'm not good enough. You know, all of us struggle with those kinds of thoughts at some time to time. And so um, in the moment, the logic is I'm not going to confront those things because if I don't, then they're really not there and then I don't have to deal with it when in fact they're just building up and it's going to be an explosion using your term, you know, down the road uh, versus stepping into that vulnerability. Really, if you think about vulnerability, vulnerability is putting yourself in a position to potentially be hurt but to be able to let go of the defenses so that the true healing can happen. It's, it's so counterintuitive, right? Um, but when it's done well and done right, it's beautiful. And the learning that comes from it. I mean, you talk about being outside of comfort zones and you, we said it earlier and even leadership development, you grow when you're outside of your comfort zones, but when something is painful and is causing you know, it affecting your leadership and your livelihood on an emotional and mental level, the the go-to is to speed up and get through it as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier, it's like being cracked. And if you take a coffee mug that's cracked and you still try and use it, eventually it's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. But if you identify the crack and it's valuable, you're like, okay, cool, I can fix this. And then it's repaired and it's new and you can keep using it before and to catch it as it starts to happen instead of once there's 10,000 pieces of it on the ground. But very personally, when you're in a space where there's 10,000 pieces all over the place to choose to sit and walk through it and learn and grow and develop the, the healing and transformation that comes from it is, is it's, you know, it's, it's unreal. Mm -hmm. What can come out the other side of it when you choose to say, okay, I'm going to walk in this and I'm going to take every next step and gain some clarity and move and apply and learn. It's twofold. What you see in yourself, you know yourself more, and then you know those that you lead so much more. Well, it's interesting too. So two uh, metaphors or analogies that come is, and I, I don't know the exact term, but um, the uh, I think it's the Japanese art of taking broken pottery and putting it back together again and making it whole. And oftentimes that 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 new piece of pottery is stronger than the old piece was. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we look at just from an attachment standpoint, rupture and repair, when we have a rupture in our life and it is repaired, the identity of who we are is actually stronger after the repair than it was before the rupture. And But we don't recognize that, right? So the resiliency and grit that is developed, uh, we don't see until we're on the other side. And we're, we don't recognize that we're stronger because of it. That's really, really good. Um Two more questions and I'm going to get into Q&A. What are the benefits if we choose to be proactive with our mental health, both with those and with us and those who lead, what would be the potential benefits of taking a more proactive posture towards gauging and investing in our mental health and those we lead? Mm -hmm. I think it comes down to simply quality of life. Like I go back to John 10, you know, he came to give us life and life to the full doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. There's nothing in there that says life is going to be easy, right. but it said life and life to the full. And so I think part of that is, is 
uh, sometimes dragging things into the light, right? We want to walk them into the light, but a lot of times we're dragging things into the light. And once they're in their light, they can't go back in darkness. Uh, so it gives us perspective. But I think God's desire for us guys really is that we experience true and uh, unadulterated community in this life as it prepares us for the next life. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of times um, what has happened to us in this life uh, makes us fearful about engaging or re-engaging in community. And so being able to heal those pieces of us, to do the work, to sit with the tension, to make the adjustments creates opportunity for us to live life in a way that maybe we never thought we could. And then in turn, lead that way. Like, can you imagine if we led from an unencumbered way for our people, what that would be like for them and really drawing out their true selves, their true giftings. Um, It could be that idyllic place that we thought of when we wanted to think about, when we first thought about leading in the first place, and then we got into it and it was nothing like we expected we can maybe get back to pieces of that where we're leading in a way that is really centered around mission and vision that's centered around others. And then the the call that we've been placed on our lives could be so amazing, but then it also really calls other people that we lead into true identity, into true purpose. And and I think really that's, I mean, I can go into deeper than that, but that's just kind of the, the off the top of my head right now of just kind of why this is important. Um, But we can, experience aspects of wholeness uh, this side of heaven i think you i think it brings into what i pick up from that too is wholeheartedness mm-hmm. you know you're leading more authentically and in community and with a greater depth of wholeheartedness yeah um last one and then we've got some q a you have served and you've counseled and you've walked alongside and coached leaders from across the board, um, what would be your biggest, most practical or small piece of advice for staying healthy? Uh, read. read. Uh, I, I just, the, the brain is the only organ in our body that does not have to deteriorate. And we allow it to because we stop learning. And so I think that the best advice I can give is to learn, whether it be reading, taking a course, joining a, a community. Um, yeah, challenge yourself. Like pick a genre. Like I um, I challenge myself in what I read sometimes, right? So I might pick something that's very much not my political or religious viewpoint just to challenge myself logically or, you know. So I think just just learn, grow recognize that your brain uh, will only deteriorate if you let it